This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. On tonight's episode, we are doing Around the Grounds again. There will be some NRL, cricket, NFL, F1, and oh, we definitely are going to talk about the English Al Clasico. Hello and welcome to the Backpass. My name is Ali Bawala and today I'm joined by Shivank, Gurpreet and Kevin. Welcome lads. Hello, hello. Hey, it's going. Hello. So we're, it's been a full-on week, full-on week of sport. There's been so much going on all around the world. So, Kevin, let's jump right in. The NFL Combine is going down. What's been happening in the NFL Combine and why? what the hell is a Combine? So, it's, it's um, ironically, or I guess kind of sweetly named the Underwear Olympics, which is which is. <laughs> probably a very accurate way to describe it. It's a series of um, uh, uh, events in which uh, athletes are pre-selected from the college uh, college football leagues and um, they perform you know, feats of athletic endeavors, really. So you have things like the 40-yard dash, verticals, broad jumps, three-cone drills, shuttle, bench press, <laughs> And for quarterbacks, you have um, throwing drills and wide receivers have catching drills. Running backs have specific running drills as well. Uh, and it, it's basically a tool for which um, uh, will lead into the NFL draft, which happens in uh, the end of April, so a month away. And it's how they comprise or um, uh, put together a, 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 a ranking of who's the best player to draft. So at the athletic component's one part of it. The combine also has a um, interviewing and um, uh, medical examination as well. So they look at you know pre-existing conditions, heart conditions. Uh, they do um, uh, you know if they if they have an ACL injury, they'll do a check to see how far they are away with independent doctors. Um, with the interviews, they do psych evals. They do uh, comprehensive like. Um, uh, uh, profiles on each of the players to see how they fit with particular teams and, and how they work from a culture perspective, where they need work, training habits, things like that. So it, it's really this all-round mecca of uh, testing that occurs prior to the draft. So it sounds like a job interview for three days straight. <laughs> it, it's it's not three days; it's five days straight. Five. And it's it is it is one of the most it's it's as a as a spectator it's it's probably the most amazing sort of thing that you see next to the olympics because you have athletes that are of all different shapes and sizes some who are you know like 300 pounds or you know 250 285 pounds and they they all do the same event so you see how far they (laughs) how fast that they run the 40 yard dash um and it makes really interesting spectacles because like if you see somebody who say 280 pounds, so 280 pounds is roughly around, I think 110 kgs um, or somewhere around that mark. 130 ish. Yeah. Yeah. 130. Yeah. So 
if they're doing a 40 yard dash at the same speed or at, at the same time as somebody who's a 200 pounds, that's pretty impressive. Um, and it, it does, it does become a really cool thing to watch. Uh, and yeah, to be honest, what everything you're describing, Kevin, sounds like the Caracas sales. Like, you know, we're just watching, <laughs> just literally watching them like parade around. Like, look at this beautiful horse. Like that we've, we've raised here. How much for this one? Everyone have a look. But also, Kevin, tell me what is a Nolan Smith and why is 4.4 like that impressive? Okay. So Nolan Smith is a defensive end. Um, who? So he's uh, a big guy. Georgia. Yeah, he's he's a he's a pretty big dude. He's um, listed as, and I'm pulling up his measurables as we speak, so I, I could give you some accurate stats. He's measured as six two, um, so about two inches bigger than myself. Um, he's two hundred and thirty eight pounds, so about two forty pounds. He's in the range of, I think that's, um, if somebody wants to do the math, that's what one hundred and eight, hundred and ten ish, hundred and eight, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, 110, yeah, 110 kilos. Um, and he just ran a 439. A 439 in a 40 yard dash is what you would expect from a very fast wide receiver. So somebody who's around about 200 kilos, uh, 200, um, 200 pounds. Wow. 200 pounds. So yeah. 40 yard dash is just for the metric minded is 36.58 meters. So not quite like a 50 meter mark, but that's still that's still substantially fast. That's like a mm-hmm. that's like a prop, right? Like that's that's a prop. That's, that's like a, that's a prop. Dane Cole's yeah. Dane Cole yeah. running four point four and three four point three nine seconds, uh, running three three point six uh, thirty six meters in four point three nine seconds. It's still impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's mightily impressive. Uh, he's got, I think he's got a total rad score of like. He's in the top ninety nine percent or ninety five percentile of like athletes tested, um, which is which is really amazing. But you know, putting putting Nolan Smith aside, the actual I guess star of the combine um, was this quarterback out of Florida called Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson is a QB, and QBs typically aren't super fast. And I'll, I'll put it in perspective the the fastest. The QB that ran the fastest was in 2006. It was Reggie McNeil. The next fastest was 2012, Rob Griffin III, and he ran a 4.41, right? Anthony Richardson ran a 4.43. And I, I just want to put in perspective, Anthony Richardson's also, from a weight perspective, compared to Robert Griffin III, RG3, um, those of you <laughs> who, who follow the sport, Robert Griffin, uh, Robert Griffin III is... Uh, 223 pounds and Anthony Richardson's 244 pounds. So there's like a 20 pound. Yeah. It's, it's, it's It's yeah. 10 kilos off. Yeah. A 10 kilos off and almost what? Three tenths of a second faster, two tenths of a second faster. Mm. That's, Mm -hmm. that's insane. Um, And he had a fantastic worker and it, it, it happens quite a lot. Actually, you have these players that who, who outperform all the metrics that, they're expected to perform and, um, you know, who's really stand out and they, they, they eventually push themselves up the draft board. And why this is really important, I think we mentioned this in the past, but that where your, where your draft also influence what you're going to get paid, um, 
in your first five, first four to five years of your your contract. Is there mm-hmm. actually like is there a connection between these metrics and how good you are actually on the field? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. That's exactly um, what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we've got we've got history in different sports where um, you'll have players who are of significant size and athletic ability not really being able to translate onto the pitch. What I will say is that the upper echelons of the NFL right now, especially in quarterbacking, so players like Josh Allen and uh, Patrick Mahomes are highly athletic. So if you're able to convert on one of these players, then you will have a significant advantage. Like when I'm saying significant, I'm talking about the difference between making the playoffs and potentially going on a playoff run and winning the Super Bowl. So it's a risk. And like if if we go back in history, I'd say probably the hit percent rate is is less than 10%. (laughs) Um, And... But yeah, I mean, it is it is like one of those things, right? You buy a lotto ticket so that if you win, you win big. And in terms of buying lotto tickets as well, Kevin, uh, shifting gears to the NRL and your Newcastle Knights, as the NRL <laughs> season got started, they bought a lotto ticket with their new fullback. Yeah. Uh, Fingers crossed. Hope fun. he hope he does well and <laughs> replaces Parker. I think he's a good buy. I think um, uh, Lachlan Miller, I think his name is. Uh, yes. He's he's a good buy from the Sharks. I think he was never going to be able to, you know, play fullback for the Sharks. Um, and he's a type of player that we need in our team. Very consistent fullback, able to create a little bit, play the link up role, and um, support well. I think if you put all of that on Ponga's shoulders and also expect him to be the primary target for the opposition, it becomes mm-hmm. too much. And that's what happened last year. The stress is too significant. He, he'll do too much. He'll injure himself and then get taken off the field, which which ironically ended up happening <laughs> anyway. But, um, and, you know, I, I still think that there was a possibility that we could have won that game if Ponga's on the pitch. Um, the way he was playing in that last 10, 15 minutes, uh, he sort of started to click a little bit. There was we'll definitely chances. There was definitely yeah. chances. And what about what about that call from the independent doctor, Gurpreet? I think there were some calls for giving him, giving the independent doctor the man of the match against the Warriors. <laughs> oh, we need all the help we can get. We need all the help we can get, Ali, because I I had no nails left by the by the time that game finished. <laughs> <laughs> I I was genuinely I was genuinely watching that game from behind the sofa. It was so tight, and, and, and knowing that we would get bantered by Kevin if we coughed it up, it was just uh, it just made it worse. Yeah, likewise, I, I was watching the game while cooking dinner, and I was like, I don't want to talk to Kevin today. I have no way texting him for a bit. It, it, it's the thing. It's the thing about having like a token Knights fan in the group. Like it's it's generally quite good for the banter, except when you play them and then you're on the ropes against them. You really don't want to talk to them the next day. Yeah, yeah, kind of like having a Chelsea fan in the group when you lose yeah, to your nearest neighbors. 
funny, man. I was waiting. I was waiting for it to come around. Oh, I was we, just we jumped, waiting. Jumped a little bit. Jumped a little bit earlier. I mean, at, at least he's admitted that Chelsea are like the Knights, overpaid, <laughs> overrated, no history. Hey. Hey, hey, when did history matter? You guys have all history and nothing in the present. Actually, I would say Knights do have history. Yeah, we, we actually have two premierships. I'd like to remind all the Warriors fans in the room at the moment. <laughs> we have there you go. We have one minor premiership. One minor premiership. So that, that counts for something, right? Finishing first on the table. Oh, yeah. And I'm yeah. pretty sure we did that because the Bulldogs got deducted points right at the very end of the right, season. Yeah. So we defaulted into first place. I'll take it. But yeah, it was um it was a welcome back for the NRL and the Dolphins, very first NRL game ever. And they pulled out pulled out one out of the hat, pulled a rooster out of the hat. And plucked <laughs> <laughs> a chicken. <laughs> and they crushed it. They crushed it. They crushed the roosters completely done. So now the the roosters are offensive, basically mince meat, ready, waiting for the Warriors. <laughs> Look, wh- one thing I'll say about the Dolphins is uh, when you have Wayne Bennett in charge, was it really any doubt that he wasn't going to win his first game? Like, I, I just felt like that was like a Wayne Bennett sort of thing to do, to win the first game in front of, you know, a, a home crowd and and just put one over – a good team. Like the Roosters are a pretty decent team. Well, but just really it, put the upset on. You have the Dolphin team is full of a lot of solid, but like solid, solid players who are just super professional, who just go in and do that one job that you need them to do. And mm-hmm. they're not, there's a couple of, couple of really good players in there who have the X, who have X factor, who, have, who can bring a, something a little bit different. But that big chunk, that forward pack, is all experience. They've got experience in in the centers. They they've got a couple of young players, but they've got they've got a lot of experience around them to to guide that team and just keep them calm and keep them running along on the field. Mm. Yeah, shout out to a Kiwi player, Jeremy Marshall King. He played oh, yeah. really well. Yeah, he was he was great. A beautiful break mm. to the middle. So, moving on, uh, Shivank. Yo, you've been you've been watching you, you've been watching the F one and the cricket. Yeah, um, I'm just happy to say that I've had, I've had a good seven days of continuous sport watching. <laughs> the fact that I get to distill it down in seven minutes is a bit of a disappointment. So, but hey, enough sevens. I, I show you. I, I sure hope you guys are missing CR seven right now. Well, United don't have a number seven at the moment, and that's probably why. Well, that's probably why Liverpool <laughs> filled the gap. Here's the seven. LFC seven. <laughs> at least, at least, Siobhan is going to run out of jokes by the time we get to the football section. So, yeah, keep keep going, keep going. I probably won't. Like the biggest joke in world football, I happen to be on the bench at, for the game, Harry Maguire, so. Oh, poor Harry. Ooh, Even when gosh. he's not playing, he gets dragged into the... <laughs> he still gets blamed for the defense. <laughs> hey, he's not getting blamed for the defense. He could have been the difference maker between 7 and 14. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yes, um, I did um, Yeah, watch the F1 race last night. Um, I am very sad to report that the season's over before it even started. Um, I think Max Verstappen is basically going to take 
the entire season by storm. He's going to win by whatever's the next superlative after a landslide. <laughs> I think I've lost words for the guy now. What, like, what do you call that? Is that is that just like a, a seismic shift or like a? I don't know. He he's like playing in the French league of football right now. Like he's killing Mbappe, and then he's playing against I don't know semi-professional guys. It's it's a joke if you finish the first race nineteen or however many seconds away from like your nearest competitor, who just happens to 11, be your teammate. Yeah. Yeah, Eleven seconds. Who just happens to be your teammate with the with the exact same car, right? With, with the exact same car. <laughs> so it's like you you come into the season expecting Red Bull to do worse than they did last year because they have a penalty on them for overspending. So they can't use the wind tunnels as much. They have restrictions on a few other things. And so you expect the landscape to be a bit more competitive. For the record, I'm a Ferrari fan, living in disappointment for at least the last 10 years. Yeah, you're, you're also a Chelsea <laughs> fan, so you'll know all about overspending. <laughs> hey, we have won more Champions Leagues in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, have. I love that like caveat. Yeah, let's continue. Know, there, there is one thing I'd say about Ferrari, though. When Ferrari are doing terrible in Formula One, they tend to make good cars. And I have seen the latest <laughs> Ferrari cars to come out, and they're pretty nice to look pretty at. They, they yeah. might as well focus on something else because they, they can only concentrate on one thing at a time. One thing. One thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, the focus isn't where I have my focus on. But now, anyway, you expected the landscape to be a bit more even this year. You expect Mercedes to do better. You expect Ferrari to do better. You see the reports. Ferrari's got a good straight line speed. So you expect, oh, yeah, it's going to be a tight race. Come race day, Ferrari has an engine malfunction. And so their best driver, Charles Leclerc, doesn't finish the race. Verstappen breezes through as if he's basically just running on an empty track. And yeah, season's over even before it started. Speaking of seasons ending before they even start, it's kind of like test cricket right now, where on you're ex- expecting a five-day game to finish on either day two or day three. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure a couple of weeks ago, we said test cricket was pretty boring. No, it's not. <laughs> and then and then the last week and then the last week there's been two very 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 interesting interesting games of test cricket yeah. going going on yeah. going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like amazing games of test cricket um massive shout out to the black caps when like winning by that one run margin is why we all love test cricket so much like you can see the game swinging in both directions with every session changing First day, you're like, okay, yeah, England's got this wrapped up. Second day, you're like, oh, actually, New Zealand stage, you could come back. And then the tide swings the other way. You look at the lead on the last day, you're like, nah, this is not competitive enough. And what happens? New Zealand win by one run. So massive, massive And that one did last five days, Shivank. That did last five days. Yeah. And it's as you say, Shivank, it was off the back of the, the hammering that we took in that first test match. You know, where, let's be honest, it was... Test cricket was pretty boring when you're getting hammered by that margin. <laughs> and then, as you say, the first couple of days, you're like, uh, let's just... I just want to say, Shivang just missed a window. But anyway, continue, Gurpreet. <laughs> um, it's okay. It's okay. I'll have my moment again. Um, <laughs> and, and then... I'll make it a point to at least bring up United 7 at least seven times. <laughs> How many, what, what, what count are you up to right now, Shivang? I'll help you keep count. Hey, I'm up to five. He's on 18. Oh, no, he's, pretty- he, he's done it 18 times already. <laughs> there has to be a quota. 
<laughs> it's like at a certain point, Ali, you've just got to mute him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you have to do it as many times, as many games Chelsea have gone without scoring a goal. Ooh. So yeah, f- yeah, I'm on that number. Next number is United's loss. Hey, we scored. We finally <laughs> scored. So you've got nothing on us anymore. That is true. That is true. Took the 83rd the minute, but it did happen. 53rd. Fifth, oh, sorry. 53rd. Yes. Yeah. Hey, uh, well, yeah. Shivank was keeping a running total of like the number of minutes um, since a goal. <laughs> 400. Do you just have a stopwatch for each game where you just like start <laughs> and stop between each of the goals? I, I, I wish I had one for last night. <laughs> You don't need it. <laughs> Since when do you start watching Man U games? Or are you a secret Liverpool fan? Oh, no, I'll watch any game for the entertainment value. Uh, I was just going to say for Chelsea's goal count, you didn't need a stopwatch. You would need an actual kind of like a big clock and a and like a sundial and kind of measure yeah. um, the weather patterns too while at it. Maybe an Yeah. <laughs> Nah, if the drought had gone on for seven more games, yeah, maybe. <laughs> anyway, back to Test Cricket. Graffiti, you were saying. Uh, I was, I was just uh, moving quickly on. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I was saying um, it, it was uh, what I really admired about the Black Caps in that game was like th- there was a certain point where they were just gone. And I've got to be honest, I stopped watching. Probably after about two days, you're like, we're following on. We are going to get hammered. But I think the fight back from about day two onwards was just incredible. But even mm. then, you felt going into that final day that there wasn't enough runs. And, and I, I'm just going to say the, the, the one player that I think just epitomized the, the spirit of the Black Caps was... Um, was Neil Wagner just he just the guy just bowled his heart out and it was a great example of where an individual may not be incredibly talented he may be a one-trick pony but the the sheer effort just to drag New Zealand back into the fight multiple times was just incredible Mm-hmm. and let's not forget that's basically the thing that makes him as amazing as he is like he never gives up Absolutely, absolutely. And, and and look, there was multiple points, even on that fifth day, where you thought this game's gone, right? Like, um, oh, yeah. we, we had them five down fairly early, but then that fifth wicket partnership got set. And you're like, okay, it, this has been exciting for the morning, but back to work because they're, they're just going to close this out. But, you mm. know, Waggy picking up those wickets. And then even right at the end where um, Anderson hit that four and they needed two off, just two runs. <laughs> And yeah. I had a meeting on at the time, so I was like, "Oh, it's done. All right, I, I can't, I can't bear to watch um, Anderson hitting the winning runs." And unbelievably, uh, for for that finish, uh, yeah, you know the type of thing that is that's that's almost unforgettable. Hmm. I completely agree. And, and I was actually, um, I was actually quite enjoying the the low scoring uh, India Australia game as well. <laughs> I, you get so sick of like bowlers getting tonked around that mm. you enjoy a good low scoring kind of um, you know one hundred all out type of test match that threatens to be over in like one and a half days. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it adds a new dimension to the game. I, I do have one disappointment from that match is that in the second innings, Australia only played one reverse sweep shot. 
I did not see enough reverse sweeps from the Australian Australian batsmen. Yeah, but I think the game would have been very different if they tried a few reverse sweep shots. <laughs> Let's be I've, I've got I've got one very interesting stat from that game. That game lasted seven sessions. <laughs> oh, he surely he's making this up. <laughs> I am not. I am not. It can lasted we, exactly we, seven sessions. <laughs> can we can we get uh, can we get a bar check on that one? <laughs> Third umpire. I'm actually gonna. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna look this up. I don't. I don't believe him. This is. Uh... The game ended on day three, session one, which is the seventh session. That is true. That is the seventh session. <laughs> lunch. Surely, oh. surely, lunch counts as a session. <laughs> I mean, it does if you're in school. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. Wow. But no, hey. Um, the one thing I will have to admit, though, is I'm a bit disappointed in myself for not having kept up with the WPL. Mm-hmm. Um, just before the show started, we were discussing the scores and everything. And from the sounds of it, it has been very exciting for the average viewer because there's been quite a few games with 200 plus scores. Like everything is being tonked left, right and center. Yep. 200 strike rate seems to be the new norm. <laughs> So it's good for the fan, but I'm sure we have some opinions on the general level of polling on display. So debatable point. I think we should look to take down the patriarchy in the women's game as well. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Personal opinion. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. But should we do it after all the fans kind of get on the bandwagon? Like wait till, you know, they get the get the public going and watching the games and supporting the players, then bring the Batriaki down. Because right now we need to bring the fireworks to the women's game to get, you know, like that yeah. global attention. Yeah. And the only reason we're, we're talking about the WPL right now is because of the scores and the 200 plus uh, T20 scores. And, you know, this crazy strike rates of 300 something. Completely agree. So... Ironically, I read, I was, I did a bit of research into this, into women's sports overall. Statistically speaking, more men watch women's sports than women do. Um, and the ratio is significant between women watching men's sports versus women watching women's sports. So there's probably a conversation to be had about how do we get more women watching women's sports? And that could be another way to increase the number of eyeballs we have on some really interesting matches, not just in cricket, but you know, in soccer as well. And that poses an interesting question. Is that also because all sport that we know, most sport that we know has been designed by men and not by women and women just are playing it now. And maybe it's not as attractive, not as attractive to female viewers. Well, I, I think, I think there is a factor of the reasons why women watch men's sports is probably very different from why men watch men's sports. So, uh, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I think there's a, there's a factor involved there that not just getting um, women watching women's sports, we're getting them more to watch men's sports as well. And then maybe that carries over and maybe we can apply those mm. same techniques there. Uh, I, I know like the NFL, for instance, have pushed, um, and rugby league have pushed, uh, you know, dedicated uh, games or rounds devoted to women 
um, especially mothers and um, partners who support the players in the game um, and also promote the, the women's leagues. So that I know that helps a little bit, but um, there are aspects of the game that probably don't translate as much and we probably put it, need to put in a lot more effort to, to get it to work. Yeah, I agree. There's also mm. a case of the match going public as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, how much of it is down yeah. to like the on TV, the primetime slots, and as far as games go, like the sort of, and I know this happens here when the rugby's on, but you, you kind of have the All Blacks kicking off at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., and there'll be a women's game before that, right? Which is so kind like of 5 p.m. Yeah, which is like a 5 p.m. game, which for most people, um, and this is both men and women, who are going to go watch the All Blacks? You're not. You're generally not going to rock up at 5 p.m. for a 7 p.m. All Blacks game at Eden Park. You know, you're, you're probably going to leave home around four, so you'll you'll maybe catch the back end of that game. And the same on TV, right? Like, um, given little, Auckland traffic, though, Gurpreet, you're probably going to get there just five minutes before the All Blacks kick off. Yeah, you'll probably miss the first half of the All Blacks game as well, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> so. I, I, I do mind, I do wonder to your point, Ali, how much of this is just down to there not being enough um, money in terms of sponsorship and the same level of TV money that we see in the men's game? Because ultimately, yeah, ultimately, that that drives viewership, in my opinion. Of course, it's also you know we're like, oh, why don't we like piggyback you know the women's game onto the men's game? But then there's a point in which you're like, well, by basically making it a curtain raiser, you're kind of also telling everyone. It is a curtain raiser for exactly. the men's game. Exactly. Why exactly. not have it the other way around? Why, Why not have it the other way around? First, and then one hundred percent after. One hundred percent. Do you think? So you, do you think? So who who are the demographics that you're looking to target? That's probably the first thing I'd ask because there is an advantage of having the game earlier. You can get more young people mm. involved, yep. um, family groups to come in and watch the women's <laughs> game. Late games tend to be a bit of a problem if you have kids. Um, especially young kids. Yeah. So there is that aspect. I, I remember a few years ago that um, uh, a lot of the sports, so not just um, not just uh, cricket, but also rugby league, they would do days where, um, especially like at the MCG, where you would have maybe two games, two AFL games, and then you would also have before that a VFL game as well. So it becomes like a family outing event and everybody's got like, you know, food trucks around the area and, mm. you know, it becomes more of a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's definitely, I mean, there's, there's definitely more being done about the women's women's game, but there, there needs to be more done even more than that. And, you know, we spoke about kind of like the investment in the different areas and different parts of the game. And now we have a women's super rugby as well kind of kicking off and we have that in play. So hopefully that's kind of building up to that right crescendo. So that kind of takes us into, into Ygropreet. And I think everyone knows what you've been watching. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, let's, let's, <laughs> let, let's get it out the way. The uh, Manchester United women's football team, WSL one, number one on the table, huge win over the weekend, played 14, won 11, drawn two, lost one. How could we not open up with that? 
That's Fantastic. Top amazing. of the table. Top of the table. If you look at where this team started out, um, phenomenal. The, 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 the team are doing absolute bits. Um, yeah. That was basically don't, what I was... Don't Chelsea have, like, the best players? Yeah. We have also have two games in hand. And if we win both games in hand, we go ahead of you guys by two points. Games so, in hands are just pipe dreams. Games Shivank. in hands are just pipe well, dreams. I love that. Well, <laughs> well, kind of, kind of. I mean, it's better than losing seven nil. I suppose. I suppose. I suppose. I suppose we've got to talk about that. We've got to talk about that. Um, yeah, yeah, we have but to hey, talk about that. But before we get to the seven nil, kudos to the women's team for doing as well as they yeah. are. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. uncharted territory for them in the last. 10 years, and I say this with utmost, uh, utmost respect because for a club of United stature, the women's team was nowhere near the upper echelons of yeah. the women's mm-hmm. team. I mean, you've, yeah. yeah, I mean, this yeah. is probably you've absolutely nailed it, Shivank. It's, it's been a total disgrace the way Manchester United have treated the women's team. You know, the, the, the fact that uh, their games usually aren't even at Old Trafford. You know, you, you, you talk about... Not to, even in Manchester, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, to, to, to the point that Kevin was making where the, the ratio isn't the same, how could it be when it's treated in this way, right? And it's I, I think it's it's only it's only recently where United have started acknowledging just how much work needs to be done in that area. And it's just, um, it's just amazing to see the team doing so well. Hmm. Um, purely in terms of um, fan perspective on the teams and the investment and the infrastructure. Um, I wouldn't be wrong to say United are at least five years behind Chelsea oh, yeah. how oh, the women's set absolutely. works. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, which which is why it's also surprising that the that the team itself has made such progress to be Correct. challenging Chelsea. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So good on United women and Long may they make the competition more, much more competitive than it usually is. Yeah, yeah, and also, and also, uh, I mean, shout out to um, shout out to Mary Epps who um, at the FIFA the best awards won the the best goalkeeper. Her her speech really. Uh, I'm not going to quote any of it on here, but um, if you've got a few minutes, go and listen to it. Absolutely incredible speech. Um, so humble, so down to earth. Casemiro won. Casemiro made the the team of the year. Um, which was an outstanding achievement, but she was the best goalkeeper in the women's game. Which, um, again, for a team that's been so far behind some of the uh, some of the dominant teams in Europe, is is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So a lot for United to celebrate, but those things those things do not include the recent performance at uh, at Anfield. I mean, of all stadiums in the world, it just had to be at Anfield, right? Happened. Well, you couldn't pick. You couldn't pick a worse team to have a seven nil score line against. Yeah, but that's the thing. This is this is this is kind of like Liverpool's season in a nutshell. They go through these spurts, right? So, in twenty eighth August, they beat Bournemouth nine nil, right? In August, we were like, yeah, they're back, and that was after United had beaten them at Old Trafford. So they lost to Ultra, they lost to Manchester United. They all went, oh, we got to do something about this. They went out. They smashed Bournemouth nine 0 They win their next game after that. Then they draw and then they lose, right? And then they're kind of like, oh, they're starting to stumble backwards again. And then 
come October comes around, they lose another match. And I can't remember who that was. But then they go out and they beat Rangers 7-1 in Scotland. Seven. Seven. Yeah, 7-1. They win their next two games. Then they lose again. And then they win and lose again. So, they, you know, and now they basically, well, about a week ago, just over a week ago, they got, they got beaten by Madrid in Anfield. And then, then after that, they were toothless against Crystal Palace. They've come out against Wolves, picked up a 2-0 win, and then gone, you know, we're going to pick everything up and we're going to put in everything into this United game. And they've, they've smashed them. They've smashed them 7-0. It's interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, and, and, and look, it seems, it seems farcical to say now, but when you look at that game and you break it down in chunks say, 20-minute blocks, United in that first half were the better team. Um, I, I, I thought Eric Ten Hag got his setup perfect. You know, uh, it seems ridiculous when you look at the, the end of the game. And I thought going into halftime at 1-0 kind of flattered Liverpool. If you look at who had the better chances in that first half, I, I thought mm. we definitely created the better chances. In that second half, I think what effectively happened was we conceded two really poor goals really early on. And then I think Liverpool are the type of team that does what the All Blacks do, where when they get going, uh, they are not going to stop, right? And and we've seen this time and time again where the All Blacks have sort of played um, Australia or South Africa. And, you know, we've gone on these little bursts where a closest game is just it's just the score just blows out and mm. I, I guess the one criticism of Ten Hag here is perhaps naivety um, at four 0 the game was done and you're perhaps looking at damage control we perhaps kept pushing um, mm. but you know let's be honest the trajectory of the club is correct Ten Hag has made very few mistakes these players most of them have been brilliant. For the last three months post World Cup, and something like this was always going to happen. I'm just glad it didn't happen a week ago in the Carabao Cup final. Um, yes, it hurts, and and as you said, Ali, it, it particularly hurts because it's them. It it hurts tonight because Javank's on the show and he wasn't a week ago. But you know, we 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 take it. We take it. I make better runs than Timo Werner when it comes to shows and appearances. <laughs> Oh look, I I would say I make better runs than him, and I I don't run, you know. I, 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 <laughs> well, at the end of the day, it's you know you lose one nil, you lose seven nil. It's still th- it's just three points lost. Um, so three except points when, except when things matter on goal difference. Well, uh, it just you know like <laughs> as we said earlier today, I think in our WhatsApp chat is that United are definitely not going to win the Premier League on goal difference this year. We can definitely rule that one out. So. If you're betting on United winning by goal difference this year, just don't bother. Yeah, although try to get your money back. Although I, I do think this is this is interesting, Ali. You're right. When you boil it down, one nil or seven nil, you've lost three points. But but I I think the one theme here that Ten Hag needs to look at come the summer is the fragility. Right, and and there was an aspect of fragility there. Like we saw heads drop, and they dropped across the board. And look, we aren't privy to exactly what happened. We're at the end of the day, we're sitting on our armchairs and we're commentating. It could have been fatigue. It could have been 
a mixture of things. It could have been the emotional high of the last three or four, you know, beating Barcelona, the the celebrations from the Carabao Cup. It could have been all of those things together. But the reality is that under Ferguson, we would maybe have a performance like this once every three or four years. This is... Oh, I was about to say seven years. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but this is this is maybe the sixth or seventh capitulation we've seen in the last year. Six or seven years in the last year, in, in the last in the last year, right? In the last year. Yeah. So there's been a few few drubbings. There's, yeah. there's been a yeah. few drubbings. And, yep. and, and yeah, this is. I, I think this is perhaps the next step for this team is. You don't capitulate like this when nothing goes your way because there is a standard, right? And that that standard isn't just when you're winning, but it's also when you're when you've got no chance of winning. And I think there's a difference between when Liverpool beat United under Oli in that drubbing and this yeah, victory. Yeah, so yeah. There there is a difference in how it feels, even though the margins are similar. This margin is greater, but this does feel different, and it does still not feel like or we need to start talking about this team being in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels, honestly, it, it, and I remember this night really well because the All Blacks won the Rugby World Cup final that night. And I remember saying, <laughs> I will take any result in any sporting contest that comes for the next four years. Um, and what came that night was the 6-1, uh, the 6-1 <laughs> drubbing at Old Trafford. <laughs> and this feels a little bit like that. And, and, and at the time, that was unprecedented. Under Ferguson, that was, it was, um, it was unbelievable. But it felt like that. It, it felt like it was something that could be righted. And and United's ran City mighty close that year. We, we actually lost the title on goal differential. So it, it, it ultimately did matter. <laughs> That's why I did bring it up. <laughs> but hey, hey, this year it must have been the Warriors beating the Knights, which made you go, I'll take any result for the no, next seven years. Honestly, when I was hiding behind my so when I was hiding behind my sofa thinking of Kevin's smug face when the Knights were camped on our line. I was genuinely like, I'll take any other result as long as they hold on. <laughs> See, I'm I'm a season nights nights supporter to the point where I know deep in my bones when we're not going to score a try, <laughs> and that was one of those moments. Oh, it was, I, I can feel it. I can feel when it's not going to happen. We can have all the pressure in the world, and something will happen and it'll go wrong, and I know it's going to happen. And it's just as simple I, I, as the ref coming and yeah. tapping Ponga on the shoulder, be like, "Mate, you got to go off." He's I like, posted. Why? I posted it in the chat. Your your Parham said, you, "You know, there's there's a good chance that we, you, um, the Knights are going to take this." And I was like, "You're counting your chickens too early, mate." <laughs> well, on that note, let's wrap it there, guys. Thank you very much for the banter, Gurpreet, Kevin, and Shivank. Thanks for joining us to the listeners as well. If you want to get sports nerdy with the team. Follow us on our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at the Backpass Pod. We will catch you next week. Thank you for listening. Listener.